All right. Welcome. Man, it's been a great week, hasn't it? Excited to, uh, how many of you are excited to head home tomorrow? Okay, so like, Saturday, going home from camp, uh, this was just what we did at the Huber house when we got home. I think we slept for three or four, maybe five, six. I Usually you'd fall asleep and you wake up around dinner time. Anyone else going to do that tomorrow? Good. Some of you need it. You just, you, you'll need it. So, all right. Uh, it's sad that we're to the last day of camp, um, but yet it has been a great week of camp. Uh, I've enjoyed getting to meet many of you, being able to talk with you, being able to even hear how God has been working in some of your lives uh, this week. I've been encouraged by that. I hope that you've been encouraged uh, just by what you've been learning in God's Word this week, whether it be during the morning session, during springboard, through the devotions that have been uh, written out for you this week, or whether it's through your conversations that you've been having with your counselors or your fellow campers or anything like that. I just hope that this week has been challenging and encouraging for you and that you've learned something from God's Word this week. How many of you are able to say this week that you've learned something from God's Word? Great. I'm glad that so many of you committed to say that uh, because as we think about tonight's message, one of the things that we're going to be looking at is how we need to be going out in living out what we've learned. How we need to actually take what we've learned and apply it to our lives. See, this, this week of camp would actually be wasted if you come here, you learn about God's Word, you say, hey, I've been challenged, I've been encouraged to live for God in some way, and then you go home and you never do anything about it. That'd be a waste of camp, would it not? I remember... Growing up and coming here and being challenged uh, throughout my times here, and, uh, and it wasn't a waste. So I'm praying that this week will not be a waste for you, but that it will change your lives through God's Word, that your lives have been changed, that your minds have been transformed and renewed in God's Word, so that way you can take His Word and apply it to your lives as you go home tomorrow. Tonight, we're in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. We're going to read the text, we're going to pray, and then we'll start to learn how to apply this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him great, how, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to, to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine 
or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. God, I pray that as we study this text tonight, as we dig into it, Lord, that we would be able, be able to learn more about you, to be able to trust you more, that no one can separate us from your love. God, that once we are your child, we are your heir, the, the judgment, the penalty for our sin has been removed and we receive by grace all of the heavenly blessings that, that you have promised to us in your son so that when we are in Christ, our identity is in Christ, when, when we have placed our faith and trust in him for the salvation of our sins, God, nothing can ever take that away. God, I pray that we would understand that truth as your children, that it would embolden us to live for you and that we would live devoted to you, God. God, I pray that if there is anyone here tonight that doesn't know you, that hasn't placed their faith and trust and has not experienced the love that you freely offer to us all through your Son, pray that their heart would begin to understand. In your blessed name, amen. So tonight's message is this, don't be duped. Don't be duped. Don't be tricked, that's what that means. Don't, don't be pranked or anything like that. Uh, it, it means don't be tricked or deceived that God doesn't love you. Don't be deceived that you can lose your salvation in some way. You can't. Growing up, I grew up in Mason City, not too far from here. It was about a 15-minute drive to camp. It was great because on Saturday mornings, we got home right away and we were able to rest. Some of you have like four-hour drives tomorrow or longer, so eh, have fun with that. You're going to sleep all the way home probably. But over there in Mason City, I grew up there and went to church there at Faith Baptist, and at one point, we had uh, three different pastors there, Pastor Grismore, Pastor Scott Greening, and then Pastor Derek Phillips. And throughout youth group, and through my times in youth group, when I was there, uh, I liked to prank them. Not Pastor Gizmore. But where's Paul Pestle? Right there. There he is. I, I didn't realize that you, I, I walked in the other day and you're in the cabin. I didn't realize that you were Pastor Gizmore's son in law. So, oh, he says hi. Okay, great. Mary does? Miles. Miles does. Okay, that's good too. Yeah, I was always afraid of Mary until I got old enough to realize, like, she's really funny. So, anyways. Back on track here, Cody. Sorry. Uh, I would prank them. I would go and I'd get my friends. And usually two or three times a year, we would go out and just TP both of Pastor Scott's house 
and Pastor Derek's. And finally, it got to be so bad that Pastor Derek finally said, Cody, this has got to stop. It was after we had forked his lawn. <laughs> he knew it was us. <laughs> but that just like, that just encouraged me to do it more. I don't know why. And uh, one year I was interning in Mason City, and I was learning from those guys, and uh, and at the end of the summer, I, uh, I was called into Pastor Grismore's office on a Sunday night, and, and this was like a big honor for me. I was like, wow, Pastor Grismore wants me to come into his office. And I sat down, and he just started talking to me, asking me what I learned through my internship, and started telling me a bunch of stories. And it was, it was I had never seen Pastor Grismore in this light before. It was, it was different. It was fun. Not that he wasn't fun. He was. Uh, but it was like, it was just a different light because then the meeting ended and there was like, it seemed like there was no point to the meeting. And that was, that was rare for Pastor Grismore. Usually there was always an objective to be had there. So uh, I was like, okay, well, this has been funny. He goes, let me walk you out. So we start walking down the stairs there in Mason City. And we're coming out to the back parking lot. And he opens the door. And as he opens the door, my car is sitting there. And it has been saran wrapped syruped, flowered, and everything else. It just looked atrocious. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I saw Pastor Scott, and I saw Pastor Derek standing there, beaming with the, the biggest grins on their faces ever, because finally... They'd got me back, and I was like, wow, well played. And then I turned, and I looked at Pastor Grismore, and he has the same smile on his face that Pastor Scott and Pastor Derek had. And he puts his arm around me in only the way that Pastor Grismore can. Paul, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. And says, well, Cody, this is what you get when you prank people like this. And I came to find out it was his idea. <laughs> and I still had too much respect for him. Not that I didn't respect Pastor Scott and Derek. I loved them dearly. I, to go and do anything to his house. I never pranked Pastor Gizmore back. I was just like, that was incredible. I was tricked. I had been had. I had been deceived. Here as we're walking out and I realized there was an objective. It was to keep me occupied did it well. <laughs> see, sometimes what we're going to see through this text tonight is that we can be tricked. We can be deceived. We can be distracted by different things and not understand what God has called us to. We can fall back into that spirit of fear that Paul had written about earlier in chapter 8. We, we can fall back into this deception of being defeated. We're not. We, we can fall into the deception that we've been separated from God because of the sin that's present within our lives. Brother, sister in Christ, you're not. Don't be duped. Don't be tricked. Don't be deceived by, by how the enemy wants to separate us from the love of God. What we're going to learn tonight with our big idea is this. God's love motivates us to live devoted to him. 
I want this to be an encouragement for you tonight as we go away from camp. I want it to be a motiva- motivating um, uh, sermon here tonight for you to understand how God's love motivates us to live for him. These promises that Paul is writing to those who are in Rome, to us today, that we're able to see should motivate us to live for God with the totality of our lives. If God is for us, who can be against us? The resounding call is this, no one, no one can. It's like a taunt to the enemy. You know, sometimes you trash talk before a game. I played McLean Gorsh today in basketball and I was kind of trash talking him before I went to play. I shouldn't have, he beat me terribly. Last time I played him in junior boys, it was a little bit easier. This time, not so much. McLean, wherever you are, good job. But this is, this is a taunt to the enemy to, to the fact that no one can separate us from God. Nothing. Verse 32, it explains how God has proven his love for us by giving up his own son for us. Your father loves you so much, he sent his own son to die in your place. He sent his only son for you to take away your condemnation, to take away your penalty of sin, uh, to, to separate you from the power of sin. Nothing can take you from him because it was his son who died for us. It was his son who went and lived a perfect life for us. It was his son who was risen from the dead to show us that that sin and death has been defeated once and for all and the final blow has come. We are able to live confidently motivated by his love. We have an everlasting grace We have something that we cannot earn from our Father in heaven. It's only graciously given to us through Jesus Christ. We don't deserve it. We're talking about this back in the cabin today. And also, uh, through this grace that, that we don't deserve, that's given to us, this gift that has been given to us, our judgment has been removed. What we do deserve has been taken away from us. See, every single one of us deserve judgment. We deserve the penalty of death. We deserve the penalty of living for eternity in hell. But because God graciously sent his son for us, we are able to live in the love of Christ with a, an assurance, with a confidence that God will never, never leave us. John 10 25 through 30, Jesus says this, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. 
I and the Father are one. We who are called to God, we who have placed our faith in Christ and know him, know him as our Savior, can never be snatched out of his hand. We can never be snatched out of the Father's hand. We have an assurance, a confidence, a promise from God that can never be broken. We are forever his. And because of his love, we should be motivated We should be motivated by it and be devoted to him. God's love motivates us to live devoted to him. Romans 10, 9 and 13 say this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You will have eternal life. You will escape judgment. You will have the gift of everlasting life with God. It's a promise that he gives to us. All we need to do is believe. All we need to do is trust him. If you trust Jesus as your savior, you will never be lost. You are saved from an eternity of torment forever. And these things, this love that we have from God should encourage us to live confidently, boldly for him. So we're going to see two different skirmishes that people, God's children face as they struggle to see God's grace. And then we are going to look at a solid truth and sure-footed promise in the end. So that's how we're going to work through this text. We're going to see through the two different things that, that, that we're going to face against We've seen some different battles within this text this week, but now we're going to look at at two that we see within here. And the first one is this. People and powers will try to deceive you. People and powers will try to deceive you. See this from the beginning of the church age until now, that, that... Satan is working to to deceive those who are in Christ. He's working to deceive those who are coming to Christ. And and he, he doesn't want them to see the truth of the light of the gospel. So you know what he does with his workers? They veil themselves as angels of light. They have so much truth and then just a little bit of lie to where they can deceive you. And in fact, a lot of the letters and a lot of the writings that we have within the New Testament crop up because of that. They're written to go against these false teachers that are at work, that have so much of the truth, but now they're starting to mix in lies and deception. See, people and powers are going to try to deceive us. Paul is writing about that here. He's saying, who, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Who, who is able to separate them? No one. No one can because of what Christ has done for us. See, a lot of the letters that we have teach about this deep doctrine, this, this deep theology that we have in Christ because of the false teachers that were at work. We need to listen to God's word. We need to, to trust God's word. But people and powers will try to deceive us. The first one would be Satan and his workers. And they come in all sorts of different ways. They, they come through different ideologies that are taught. We can see them at school. 
But even more dangerous than that, we see them through our social media, through TikTok, through Facebook, through Instagram, through whatever it is that you may put in front of your eyes. There is so much information that is given within this world today. It's incredible. And sometimes it's hard to understand what is true and what is false. It's incredible how fast a, a, a little piece of news can get spread so quickly and then it be wrong, right? Just within the technological age that we live today. We need to guard ourselves from that. We need to make sure, that, and the best way to guard ourselves is to come back to God's word and to know truth. Young person, do you no truth? Do you understand it as the authority of your life? Do you see God's word as true? Do you order your life around what God has given to us? Do you trust in the promises that he has for you in these words, what we've looked at this week through Romans chapter 8? Are you motivated by the love that God has for you, the fact that nothing can ever separate you from him? There are going to be people who tell you, you believe in God's word? Why would you do that? That's a worthless thing. No, it's not. We should treasure it. We should feed on it. We should live applying it in our lives. Before bedtime, we like to read books to our kids, and one of them that we've been reading lately has been The Pilgrim's Progress, Anyone else? Pilgrim's Progress. It's like this child version. It's actually pretty thick. It kind of, but as as Pilgrim is going to the celestial city, there's these people that come up alongside of him, and there's these different things that he has to face. And there's different people like Simple who comes up and tries to distract or deceive or to turn Pilgrim away. There's other people who come up who are mockers and different things like that, and they're all working at trying to get this pilgrim, this Christian, is actually the character's name within this book, away from God. And, and the thing that this, this little Christian, who's a mouse in this book, with the pictures and everything like that, keeps clinging to is the letter that the king has written to him, which would be God. And he has to continue to read the promises that God has given to him, so that way when he hears all of these false lies from these other people, he knows it's not true because of what the king has given to him. Young person, the best way to know whether something is true or not is to know the letter that your king has given to you. You can do that through multiple different ways. One, reading God's word. That's pretty easy, right? It seems like, man, Everyone told me at camp I need to be reading God's word. Well, maybe you should be, right? That seems pretty important. Two, you need to be going to church. Pastor Dave did a great job explaining that. In fact, one of the guys that I talked to, uh, as we were walking on the path, I said, what, what, is, what has God taught you this week? And he said, I need, to be, I need to be at church and encouraging others and that it's important for me to be there. I've never thought about that before. That's a great thing that God's doing in your life because it's true. You need to be there to learn and to be instructed so that way your knowledge of God expands and you're able to filter out what isn't true in your life. You're able to say, hey, 
When someone says a lie to you, that's not true because God's word says this. First person, the, the, the first thing that's going to try to deceive you is Satan and his workers, and they're going to come veiled as angels of light. Not only that, but they're going, Satan will come as an accuser as well. In Zechariah chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it. There's this interesting uh, showdown that ends up taking place. There's, there's a few different characters. You have the angel of the Lord. You have Zechariah who's seeing all of this. You have Satan. And then you have Joshua who would be the high priest of Israel. So Joshua would be the representative of Israel, God's people, within this vision in Zechariah chapter 3. And what happens is, is as Zechariah is watching all of this, Joshua is standing there in these dirty gross-looking clothes, which is, represents the sins that Israel has done. And then standing, and some people think that it's a courtroom scene, standing in front of him, or to the side of him, is Satan. And then you have the angel of the Lord, who would actually be Jesus Christ. And Satan is standing there, ready to accuse Joshua of all of the sin that Israel has committed. And the angel of the Lord, Jesus, says this, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments and the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him and to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments and I said, let them put a clean turban, this is Zechariah, on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments and the angel of the Lord was standing by. See, Satan was there ready to accuse Joshua, ready to accuse Israel of all of the sins that they had committed. Satan still works in the same way today. He's ready, standing there, to accuse you of all the sins that you've committed, which is why his accusations have such effect, because we know them. We know how we've sinned against God. We know that we haven't always done what God has called us to do. And it brings this guilt and shame upon us. Think about this. Think about how Jesus dealt with Satan here. He shut his mouth. Rebuked him. Why? Because the Lord sought fit to forgive Joshua, to forgive Israel of their sins. And he says, is this not a brand to be plucked from the fire is this not a brand to be plucked from judgment 1 John what Taylor taught on this week was this when you confess your sins to God he is faithful and just to forgive them he is still our advocate today even as even as it was taught here in Romans chapter 8. He is still our advocate. He is indeed, he is interceding for us. And if we have Christ as our advocate, no one 
can bring a charge against us. Because Christ is the one who has given us his grace. He is the one who has forgiven our sins. He is the one who has cleansed us from all of the filthy rags of our sins. And he has put on his holiness, his righteousness in its place for us. No one can bring an accusation against you. No one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. Do not allow anyone to deceive you of that. So you have Satan, you have people, you have all of these different teachings that can deceive you, but the, 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 biggest, the biggest deceiver of them all is us. It's you. You are your own biggest deceiver within your life. It's that battle Again, that it talked about all the way in the beginning, on the first night and the second night, of how we've got this, this struggle between the flesh and between the Holy Spirit, and we have to rest and trust in God's truth. And the more that you, the more that you practice that, the more that you make a pattern of that in your life, the easier it will come. God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. He wants you to turn to him. He wants you to turn from your sins. He wants you to know that he, he loves you. Second thing that is a conflict is that situations will try to distract you. It's the second part of this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. We talked about how we have struggles, how we have this suffering, pain over a long period of time. How, how we're groaning, we're waiting for the for the redemption of our bodies, for, for, for us to be in heaven with God. And how, yes, this world is difficult because of the marring of sin, the effect of the marring of sin that it has. And we are going to go through tough times. And even as we go through those tough times, our feelings will try to deceive us. They'll try to say, uh, because things aren't going well right now, God must not love me. That's a lie. Our situations do not dictate God's love for us. God's word does what he tells us does. None of our situations that we walk through will separate him from his love. For those who love God, all things are working together for good, for his good, for his will, for his purpose. Last night we learned that we were made for eternity and the fact that we have a temporal mindset and we have to have that eternal mindset as we walk through life, understanding, understanding that God is going to redeem us, that he's going to restore us, that he's going to make us brand new once and for all, that no longer we will have struggles, no longer we will have suffering, but we will be with him. Our theme verse in 2 Corinthians 5.20 is 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And then Paul continues on because this is a letter. It's a flowing thought. A lot of times we divide it up. And he says this, For our our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, working together with him. Then we appeal you to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in, in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness. I'm going to stop right there for right now. Paul doesn't write this in Romans chapter 8 out of just this, I think that this is the way it's going to be, that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. He's able to say that because he knew it. He went through the suffering as he was proclaiming Christ. And all the way through it, he saw God working. That's, that's why he's able to write to the, to the believers in Corinth and to the believers in Romans to continue through these different sufferings and hardships that are going to come up. Don't allow your situation to distract you. It doesn't separate you from God, what you're going through. God isn't turning a blind eye to it. He knows it. He knows about it. And he still loves you, even though you you feel like at times he doesn't. He does. God is still working everything together for good, and we have to trust that. We have to believe it, because he sent his son for us. If we don't believe that God's working for our good, we I want to be very careful here, actually, before I say that statement. We need to believe that Christ has died on our behalf, has taken the penalty for our sin for us, and gives us his righteousness. There will be times when we are distracted by the situations within our lives where it's hard, it's hard to see what God is doing. And we'll feel like we need to give up. We'll feel like that that we've been separated from God, but that is not true. I don't want to put a heavy weight on you tonight of something that isn't true. Why Paul is writing this to the believers in Rome is to motivate them in the ministry that God has given to them. Paul's ministry was hard. He had many different distractions, but he kept his focus on Christ and his example. He stuck to his mission that God had given to him. Brother and sister, we have the same mission today. Don't get distracted by the situations within your life. 
live glorifying God, lovingly obeying Him. First and foremost, our lives are to be lived in worship to God. We, we are to live worshiping Him with our lives. We are to give glory to Him because He is the one that works and wills within us. He is the one that gives us the very air that we breathe. And our reasonable service and worship should be to live for Him. Second, he gives us that command to go out and to make disciples, to go out and to proclaim his, his name. That's what Paul is all about. That, that's what I think here when it's talking about, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But yet know in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What are we conquering? What are we doing? We're going on the mission that God has given to us to be ambassadors for him, spreading his message. Don't get distracted by what God has called us to do, but live in Christ's example, live in God's love for you, being motivated by it because we have no condemnation, we have no penalty, we are free from the punishment, we are free from the power and control of sin. We are free to live our lives sold out for God. That's what it means to be devoted to Him. All in for Him. I had a friend who ran in front of me in track growing up and I wasn't a very good runner, I wasn't a very good athlete, but for some reason, my sophomore year of high school, I wanted to run the mile. And I never got put in because, well, I didn't run the mile fast enough, and sometimes that just happens, right? But my friend who ran in front of me in track would start the race, and he would start running, and he would get distracted by the fact that he was in fifth or sixth place or whatever it is, and my friend was actually a pretty good runner. He probably would have finished second or third, but he would see that he was that far back, and three quarters around the track, he would walk off. He wouldn't even finish the first lap because he would be disappointed that he wasn't further ahead in the pack. He hadn't picked a fast enough pace, he would think, so then he would just walk off the track and stop running. And I thought, man! I could have ran that race. And I actually had that conversation with my coach. Well, he kept doing that. And he kept running. And then he would just walk off because he would become discouraged or he would become distracted by something. And he just wouldn't want to run it anymore. Don't be distracted by, God, by the calling that God has given to us. Don't be distracted by the love that we have in, in Christ, the fact that God motivates us with his love. He's going to give you everything that you need. There is no one who can be against us who is able to defeat us because God is for us. Don't get distracted. Number three, the promise that we're able to have. God will never desert you. God will never desert you. We will always be held in the hand of God. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. There are times when we may turn from Him, but God is always 
there for us. Knowing all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can never be separated from him. He will never desert us. There are times when we will go through suffering and trials, and it will be because God is disciplining us, but he's still there. He's still lovingly there for us. He's trying to focus our attention back on him. Because our identity, our position is in Christ, he wants us to live like him. God is always with you. God always loves you. Trust that young person. Believe it. Don't allow your own desires to take back over. Don't allow the flesh to be able to control your life. Be controlled by God through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, through understanding his word, through putting in the hard work of studying it and applying it. Remember those messages, like what I talked about being here at camp. I remember the different themes. And the one that I I still remember the most was was actually when Pastor Phil was preaching a message years back at camp of how these people, he was actually just setting up the theme, I think, of how these people turned the world upside down. And he gave this call, don't you want to be one of those who turns the world upside down? And I thought, yeah. I do. I do. For the sake of Christ, I want to be able to to take the gospel. And and now I see that even as, as we preach God's word, as we teach God's word, of how contrary it is to our culture today. There are things that are that are trying to distract us. There are people that will try to deceive us. There are things that are going to try to get our focus off of our mission that Christ has given to us. But young people, you can be effective for God today. You can live out the love of God within your life, being an ambassador for Christ, turning others to him because of the love that God has for you. It should be a motivating factor for you to serve him with all of your life. You may be looking at this passage tonight and saying, how does this fit? I think there's four key phrases here tonight that we can look at. And, and, and with, with under the promise of God will never desert us. Why, why would Paul be writing these things? One, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's showing that there's opposition to the message of God. It's clear. We see that within our lives. Two, there's this talk of the fact that, that we're being killed for nothing. And it's like, no, in all of these things, we are what? More than conquerors. That's number three. And number four, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. There's a battle that's taking place. There's something that's happening. And when we live motivated by the love of God, nothing will be able to stop us. Young person, you can change through the, through the working of Christ within your life. You can, you, you can be an agent of change. In your family, in your church, in your school, in your community, 
You can turn others to Christ because of how God has loved you, and no one will ever separate that. We can have a sure-footed confidence in that. He will use us to change the world if it pleases him. Yes, we will be opposed. We will face discouragement. We will be slaughtered. But one day, we will be raised from the dead, we will be conquerors over death, and we will never be separated from the love of God. Don't forget that tonight. If you're a child of God, you can never be separated from him. Have you ever lost your footing before? Anyone here ever fallen? It's a terrible feeling, is it not? There's been many different times within my life where I have done that. Whether it be falling off of a ladder, that was a terrible feeling. Uh, whether it be falling off of a bridge into a mud pit, that was another terrible one. But the worst one, the one that I still fear today, is when I was trying to hit my brothers and sisters with a water balloon. And I was up, I've told this story here at camp before, I was up on the balcony of our house and uh, for some reason, my parents were letting us throw water balloons off of there, and it had no railing, so you're able to go out this door, and you're able to go to the edge, and my, my, my brother down below, he's a loving older brother, was taunting me to hit him. And I was getting so upset because I wasn't hitting them at all. So I had this huge water balloon, and I got to the edge, and I gave it all I had to throw at my brother. And guess what happened? I fell right over the edge. And I remember tumbling to the ground and then belly flopping on the grass. And then I woke up to my brother flipping me over and picking me up to carry me into the house. It was fine. I didn't break anything. I don't know how. It's by God's grace. But that feeling of falling and being in a free fall is terrifying. Believer, you don't have to be in a free fall trying to figure out, have I done enough good? Am I, am I saved? Am I not saved? You can know. 1 John 5.13 says that we can know that we are saved. Anyone who calls, Romans 10.13, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this should motivate us, even as we work for Christ, even as we work for God, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We learn all of this life in the spirit of the fact that God has done all of these things for us and he's still working in us today, that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Why? So that way we can live for God as it gets to Romans chapter 12, that we can live our lives and worship for him. Your circumstances do not dictate the love that God has for you. His word does. Your feelings are not the end all and be all. God's word is. Your identity in Christ and his sacrifice for you matters because it is a testament of his love for you. Live in it. Be motivated by it. Live your lives risking everything for it. So next steps, where does God want you to change? Number one, do you need to commit to being in God's word more? Is that something that you need to do as you go home tomorrow? Is that an area that needs to grow within your life? Number two, do you need to commit to attending church and being active within your church, serving in your church? 
Number three, do you need to trust God as your Savior? Do you need to place your trust in Him? Because these other ones, they're not making sense. Do you need to trust Him as your Savior? Back to that 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And as Paul is writing to them, he says this. In a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What would be holding you back from that? I plead with you to place your faith and trust in God or study it out more. Fourth thing tonight. Do you need to live motivated by the love of God, working for Him, ordering your life around Him? Maybe you've come here this week and you just thought that that God's love was something that you received to get you out of hell, to have an eternity in heaven forever, do you understand that you need to be actively serving him with your life? Maybe that's the area in which you need to grow as we go home. Let's pray. God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth that you have given to us. God, I pray that we are encouraged by the love that you have for us, that no one can ever snatch us from your hand. God, that we would remember that if we are your children, you never forget about us, you never forsake us, we are always yours. And one day, we will be fully redeemed and fully restored within your presence. Amen.